I will find the people who gave this podcast a one-star review, and I will burn them out on Twitter. Do we have any reviews? No. Oh. I, yeah, well, that's I worse. Pretend. Yeah, it is kind of worse. You know, <laughs> Kang, Kang has an attitude of, like, people call me a monster, but at least they talk about me. I you was know? talking about asbestos girl. You know, I kind of like Kang for that attitude alone. Right? Yeah, I, I, I just love a guy who's like, you know, just a diva about everything. And yeah. Has to completely control the narrative. Right. Like Thanos is just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm going to cut half the population and then bail. Like I'm just gonna go hang out somewhere because I don't really have stakes in this. Kang is like, no, I'm, I'm the moment. Yeah. I'm. I am the, the situation. Icon. I'm him. Yeah, I am him. Yeah. He, I have Kang. To... Kang is a wide receiver. Right. He he would be the greatest wide receiver. He's the embodiment of a wide receiver diva. Right. <laughs> if the entire like narrative of the universe isn't about him then it is completely incorrect. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? We're here for it. Absolutely. Welcome to the Disney <laughs> desk, everyone. I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Well, first off, we just wanted to say yesterday was Sydney's birthday, and we just Woo! wanted to say we had an awesome time. Yeah, so yesterday we visited the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia, PA, where... Um, Right now, they have the Disney 100, the exhibition is what it's called, Um, which is this grand museum dedicated to the 100 years of Disney history that we have. Um, We had an absolutely amazing time. Can I just say formally right now, by the way, we intend to talk about this in March. Yes. This will get its own episode. Don't worry. You'll get to hear all about this if you're not following us on social media i would at disney desk on both instagram and twitter for all of the clips and pictures that we took of our trip but you know just to reiterate now and i said this to you carter afterwards like i freaking love disney (laughs) right that i that was the embodiment of disney magic in terms of like you like, you're just going to completely buy in to yep. the magic and prestige of this company. This is going to seem like the most important group of artists the world has ever seen. Right. Because they didn't just make it about the animation or Marvel or... Da- like, they had stuff for the parks. They had stuff for the nature mm-hmm. stuff. They had everything. And you just realize the sheer scope of Disney, like, pageantry. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, like I said, we have to we have to pump the brakes on ourselves and things like this because we could easily get carried away but the last thing i'll say is like for all of the criticism about how like all-encompassing disney is as a conglomerate in a certain light it's kind of fun (laughs) it is kind of fun to have like yeah it's fun to have a kang-esque figure who controls everything but you're like man you're also kind of cool like, I like right? that you can just roll up your sleeves and beat Hulk's ass yeah. without any, like, powers. Right. So, anyway, um, stay tuned for um, our talk about this really exciting exhibit. Yes. And I know what you're thinking from that intro, that we're doing Ant-Man uh, and the Wasp Quantumania. We are not, because we haven't seen it yet. No. But we are talking about Marvel. Today's episode um, is brought to you by your patrons, our patrons, 
not yours. Ooh. They're ours. Okay, when we're very well, possessive. Well, the pa- patrons of the arts are giving that art to everyone. Well, yes, but mm, these are our. Well, in the patrons. Renaissance, it was mostly for their house. But, these are our patrons. You know. They belong to us. Dibs, they're ours. Even yes. though they probably Kevin, subscribe to several Patreons, but that's none of my business. Yeah. This is an open polyamorous, poly patronous relationship. You just back out of this and save your skin. No, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Okay, anyway, the patrons voted. This is the patrons' choice episode of February. So congratulations to those of you that voted on this episode topic, which was talking about our favorite Marvel films, which, like, say no more. We need truly no invitation to do this. Right. It feels like, this just feels like a rite of passage for any podcast that talks anything vaguely geeky or nerdy. You just have to, like... Plant your flag. State it's it's a statement of principles. It's a statement of identity. Exactly. So that is what we're doing. This is your weekly reminder to check out our Patreon if you would like a chance to participate in things like this going forward. We can be found at patreon.com slash Disney Desk. Become a subscriber for three dollars a month, and you can vote on the episodes we talk about on the show. Right, and yeah, we've had a lot of fun options for topics. Honestly, I would have been happy doing any of the three, right? I'm, but I'm really going to have fun with this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we rotate the topics through. Sometimes we'll end up coming back to those topics later. Sometimes mm-hmm. those will, you know, uh, that poor Pinocchio rewrite one is now two months in. It's the little, it's the little topic that could. I feel so bad. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it gets exactly one vote every time. And I feel bad that we'll probably never talk about that one. Maybe. Look, never say never. All right. But if we end up, if that episode ends up winning, we're going to find an excuse to talk for an hour about everything else but the Pinocchio. And then at the last possible minute, we'll give our five sentence like, oh, this is what we do. Good night. Okay. Without further ado, are we ready? Heck yeah. So as Sydney suggested, we are going to start with our third best and work our way to number one. Absolutely. Um, Should I begin? Go ahead. Okay. So, like, if this wasn't already clear, like, there are no real metrics here. This is solely just Carter and Sydney's personal taste. What movie do we come back to all the time that we love from the MCU? Plain and simple. Um, So, my, my third favorite film in the MCU is... Captain America Civil War. Ooh. Yay. Um, I didn't know if you'd work that into your list. It is. I, I I can't not acknowledge it because, as I just said, it's one that I come back to all the time. And you know what? All of the films I'm going to talk about today, most of them, like, I love them because they follow a sort of, like, thematic device that I that just kind of speaks to me personally about mm. I just I just love the optics of like a grand team and like right. we're getting the band back together energy like never never fails to like hit the spot for me and so I and truly like you know it's not a perfect film I and I love me some Russo brothers but like the the appeal of this film boils down to the airport scene <laughs> right for me that is like 
it is the most satisfying thing ever. Like, it's just the most satisfying to see all of these heroes charging at one another in a landscape like an airport. Um, like, on, like, this, like, roof tarmac type situation. But... A weirdly banal location, but it, but that kind right. of adds to the charm of it. Right. And you know what I always found interesting is, like... Okay, like, we're, we begin this movie by talking about, like, the dangers of the nature of being a superhero and all of the, like, damage that comes with it, just to, like, destroy people's cars in a parking garage. (laughs) Right. Well, it's, like, finding the middle ground of, like, well, we're not actually endangering anyone. Like, we can't actually but hurt anyone. But we are, are destroying... It kind of validates people's concerns that if we're just yeah. cut loose, our existence breeds conflict, and conflict leads to destruction. It's just... I. It always stood out to me as extremely ironic that I was like, these people are going to come back from their trip and have a totaled car, or a missing car altogether. They're not going to get home. All the planes are no. blown up. Yeah, that's, that on too... Like, yeah, sorry, Ant-Man's big now. He right. stepped on a plane. But it is just the best fight of, like... It, it's just it's just the best scene. It's a really good direction. The pacing of it is, like, so mm. perfectly choreographed. The introduction of Spider-Man, it never gets old. It's got the quips. Right. You know I love a good quip. Yeah. It's got the... It's, it's, a, it's of, the perfect use of, of quips. Right. It's kind of the perfect desolation of what everything the MCU does... And I think it's so striking that in the same year we had Batman v Superman, which is also building up to this titular fight. And that is so lame and kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. They basically just punch each other for five minutes and growl. And, mm-hmm. like, there's no, like, it, like there's some interesting ideas on paper, but it mostly just falls flat in execution because it's two shaved gorillas screaming at each other at the top of their lungs. Yeah. Um, yeah, honestly, I had Civil War on my list, and I'm kind of letting you go first just so I can have time to quickly change my answers. Okay. Um, Are we going to have really all the about... same answers? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I'm trying to make a point not to do that. I think um, we're going to. Oh, God. Inadvertently. Um, so, well, no, I know one you're not going to have. Um, I didn't think that you would have Civil War on yours. I'll be honest. Yeah, it's... Honestly, I go back and forth on it, because, like, I've been pretty vocal about, like, I don't love the Russo brothers. I find, I often find their rating of female characters a bit flat. I find their color palette to be weirdly muted. Like, it's, they are why the MCU gets a reputation for having kind of a concrete look, because for Mm -hmm. some reason they are just opposed to color. And, yeah, like, there's a lot of weaknesses in their approach to these things. I think I just like them because they have good taste in music. Well, that too. Like, no, they have (laughs) a lot of good, but I'd argue James Gunn is the one who's like, these are fucking comic books. Color. Bombast. Like, I almost kind of wish they got him to do the next couple Avengers films as opposed to letting him go off to DC, but I digress. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it's funny that I don't like them, and yet I'm like, man, they really did just make, like, four bangers one after another yeah and like civil war is the the ultimate like test case of why you do a shared universe because it is these character arcs that go over multiple franchises and multiple films like distilled like brought to a head because sort of the arc of iron man captain america stay pretty much the same throughout all of these movies iron man's entire thing is like 
how do I stop violence before it happens? He's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll build bigger weapons and mutually assure destruction. And that doesn't work. So he's like, I'll just be the Iron Man and basically, like, privatize peace. And then he's like, mm. the Avengers, that's the thing. Then he builds Ultron. And it all leads up to the Sokovia Accords. And then Captain America's whole thing is like, well, if you're someone who can do good, you have to do good. Right. And no matter that leads what. him just being like, yeah, I guess I'll just commit treason because I refuse to abide by these terms. Right. And I guess, like, and, like, I love how organically they work every, all the new characters into it. Like, they do a full Black Panther. That's basically the first Black Panther movie, it, too. It like, you really do the is. entire, an entire character arc for Black Panther in one movie. And right. I love all of, all of it's embodied by Spider-Man because it's like, Spider-Man straight up articulates Captain America's ideology to Tony Stark's face. And instead of realizing he's made a terrible error... Tony Stark just goes through with it anyway because he's like, well, those webs might stop this fight before it gets ugly. And he almost gets his poor kid killed. Yeah. And he he paralyzes his best friend. Yeah. This Somehow I just feel like this is the film that captures what in in theater and acting we call like the spine of a character, which is just essentially like the core DNA of all of the motivations behind a character. And somehow this film cleanly deliver somehow just that scene just everything that happens like just before and just after the airport scene somehow delivers all of these human beings core to them with this whole vision incident with introducing spider-man this kid and nearly like killing him in in the process of this fight it reveals so much about tony stark it's just a super important pivotal like moment for this character in the entire MCU arc. Does that make sense? Yeah. It yeah, no, it does. It makes it you can't have Infinity War without this because it's yeah. like this is how you get these characters making the wrong decisions during Infinity War that will get half the universe destroyed. Right. And above all, I just love that it's this big loud bombastic comic book movie, but the final fight is this weirdly personal angry moment. Yeah. It's a sh- punch out. <laughs> yeah, it's a red. Ha- the whole plot is a red herring. Baron Zemo's like, I was never going to use these suit. I want them dead. I don't like people like you. Right. And instead, he's just created this elaborate personal gripe between like Captain America and Iron Man. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, I just think it's like, oh, this is why we're doing this. This is why we put up with the good ones and the bad ones and everything in between with the MCU. Right. It's like you get these moments that you couldn't have if it was just a three movie franchise. Exactly. Okay, moving on. Number two. Thor Ragnarok. Oh, nice. I didn't have Thor on my list. You don't? I th- I would have thought you would have had Thor Ragnarok. T- I wouldn't... I like all the Thor movies, so it's hard for me to just pick one, even though, like, yes, Thor Ragnarok's, like, the darling of the bunch. I'm like, it certainly so much is. about Love and Thunder. I think all of my films today are, like, in the middle of their whole canon. <laughs> mm. Um... And I love Thor Ragnarok for the same reasons that everyone else loves Thor Ragnarok and is subsequently disappointed by Thor Love and Thunder. Right. Um, Because it's just, like, Marvel is known now for having, like, a unique comedic voice (laughs) and somehow sort of seamlessly delivering really natural-sounding comedy. Um, with these grand superhero stories. Hmm. I think this is the film that 
if not introduced me to Taika Waititi, it certainly aided in my being totally in love with him as a director. Right, right. Um, but it's just, um, it is the easiest film to watch, if you know what I mean. It's like, it is so easy on all of the senses at once. It's so, like, easy on the brain. There's so little right. to think about in the best way. And um, it's almost not a movie about Thor. It, it's, do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost, it's almost not about <laughs> Thor as a character. Even though it isn't, it isn't. Yeah, even though, it, like, it shows the like unraveling of his whole life, <laughs> but it's kind of more of a Bruce Banner story. Like, it. I feel like I feel like I always felt like this was more of a Bruce Banner story. Yeah, well, that's what I love. Also, like, people talk about like how much these things adhere to the comics, and I'm like, the Planet Hulk story kind of stinks. Mm-hmm. It's a cool idea, but its execution is kind of drab and boring. Yeah. This gets all of the good parts with none of the crap. Right. And that's what these movies do really well. Also with Civil War, which I remember you reading a while ago and just being like, God, there's so many issues. You have to read like 12 different issues from 12 different comics. This it's sucks. so difficult. I tried. I could not get through it. Right. And yeah, like I, yeah, that's what I love about like the MCU. It's like, oh, good. I take the good ideas from the stories and make them gooder. Right. Um, exactly. But yeah, I, and it's funny because like as someone who defends Thor one and two, like this movie has such a like catty attitude toward all of the previous Thor stuff, where mm-hmm. his friends just get iced off sc- like on screen, mm-hmm. just like very casually, and yet at the same time it's kind of a perfect Thor movie in terms of like, like oh this is hair metal, this is like mm-hmm. big bombastic space opera glam rock nonsense. Yes. And how can you not love that? Right. And it's like any film that introduces, um, what, what's the word? That introduces like charming sidekick characters and then they become like mainstays in the whole MCU canon. Right. Like a Korg. Yes. Is a success. Because every film has a Korg and so few Korgs make it. Right. Oh my God. What a line. If we do merch, <laughs> that's going on a shirt. <laughs> Because I just think of, like, the sea of, like, sidekick. Like, Baron, or, um, what's his name? Mordo doesn't even freaking make it to the, or he's barely in the second Doctor Strange movie. He's, like, a yeah. mini-boss. Whereas, like, Korg is now just kind of, like, a main character in most of the space nonsense. Exactly. Like, you know, all the Guardians characters who get to be around just forever now. That's exactly. such a good point. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it combines all the stuff I liked about the first two Thor two Thor movies in terms of, like, big, loud gravitas and, like, the sort of Flash Gordon-esque vibes, mm. but also, like, really just goes all in on, like, hey, what if we took Steve Ditko's drawings and made them real so everything looked silly and zany and weird? And mm-hmm. let's lean into the fact that this shit is silly. Like, we're talking about... A, right. Like, we're talking about alien combat tournaments. Exactly. Like, it's okay to laugh at ourselves a little bit. Right. And it's just an excellent use of Jeff Goldblum doing the Correct. shtick. You know, I some some people you just want to do their shtick, and this is the perfect environment for that. Oh right, all right. Hit me with your final one. Okay, now my number one favorite MCU film, which you know, is surprising to even me. Like, even I can step back and be like, I'm surprised that I'm choosing this. But it's Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, there goes my number one. 
Yep, and I knew. I told you. I, th- I knew. I, yeah. I really thought you would have chosen Ragnarok, but I, and as soon as you said, I I really didn't think you'd have Civil War, so I thought there'd be at least one. <laughs> Don't worry. I. This is why we prepare in advance. For those of you listening, like, there's not all that much conversation that goes on between Carter and I before, like. We just make sure that the two of us know what the idea is going in. Well, we hide our answers from each other until we get here. Well, because we don't want to like we want to make sure the episodes are original. We're not just like authentic. Stuff we've already yeah, said to each other. Exactly. So anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy. You know what? You know what? Keep your number one. Let's hear your list, and we'll just like rant about Guardians at the very end together. Sound good? You know what? That's. Perfect. Okay. That sounds like a great solution to this. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Number three for me, this is going to be a fun one. Iron Man 3. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. I I do love, like, Iron Man 3 and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 are two of the movies I put the most chips into of, like, guys, no, these movies are actually good. Like, I know the reception is lukewarm at the time, but trust me, you're going to come around and realize these are some of the best. And everyone's like, Iron Man 3, best Iron Man movie, and Guardians Volume 2, top-tier MCU. And I'm like, oh, look who was... Cold Take Carter turns out to be the most correct. <laughs> are you sure you don't want to buy into my eternal stock while you still have time? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I love Iron Man 3 because it is kind of a perfect movie in terms of, like, okay, what would it actually... It kind of... It's another one, I think you described it as, like, something that does DC better than DC does. Where yeah. DC's obsessed with, like, what would happen if an alien really came to Earth? And this movie grapples with, like, how would people mentally approach the exit? Like, okay, there's no, the cat's out of the bag. There are superheroes, there are aliens, the universe is broken wide open. How do we handle a world with the Avengers? Mm. And their answer is, a private military corporation would make up a fake supervillain to basically get their way. Like, it, in a scenario where the Mandarin turned out to be, like, legit and he just had to fight Ben Kingsley, the movie would have been good because it's, like, a very personal, interesting movie about a guy grappling with PTSD right. and grappling with, like, survivor mentality. It's Robert Downey Jr. just completely locked in. It's some of his best work as Iron Man. Mm-hmm. The action is clean. It's crisp. Having him out of the suit ends up paying way more dividends than you'd think because it's, like, Oh, right. Let's remind that this guy is, like, like a genius-level intellect who yeah. can, like, MacGyver his way out of situations. It's funny. It's, Shane, it's like, top-tier Shane Black. Like, Shane Black being very different from the Russo brothers. Like, he's a guy I'm like, even when I don't think your movie's good, I, I, I can't help but like your style. Right. Um, it's crisp. It's clean. And then we get to the final twist where the Mandarin was completely made up. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, the twist ends up being Ben Kingsley has been taking credit for all of these failed science experiments from extremists um, as the Mandarin. This sort of hodgepodge, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, right. Kim Jong-un sort of Cosplay. Villain. Yes. And uh, Killian, the main villain, straight up just says, like, yeah, you know, people aren't scared unless you have a supervillain now. And I'm like... Boom. Perfect one sentence way of being like, how do you make people, like, how do you cope with a world with superheroes? It's like, what, you know, what's a bank robber mean in a world with Spider-Man? What is like, you know, what does ISIS mean in a world with Captain America? Like, they're not threats anymore. Right. Like, you need a supervillain to scare people. Right. (laughs) And it's just, 
you know, one of the more interesting, thoughtful approaches to this entire endeavor. And, like, if a lot of Phase 2 was sort of this sort of pseudo post-9-11 commentary between mm-hmm. this and Winter Soldier, I think this is the one that kind of nails it the best. Mm. And on top of that, they retconned the Mandarin because the fanboys got so hissy about it, and yet it still works. Because they find a way to work Ben King's... I won't spoil too much about Shang-Chi, because I don't think you've seen it yet. I but, still haven't. That's on me. But they work in Ben Kingsley in a way that is immensely satisfying. Okay. And is the ultimate example of having your cake and eating it, too, where it's like, oh, if you like Iron Man 3, your opinion's still valid. But we're right. also letting the people who didn't like it get what they want. It's one of the mm. weirdest... It's, it's the reverse of what happened between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, where no one won. Everyone right. won this time. <laughs> right, right. I was going to say, do you have any strong thoughts about Iron Man 3, or are you not a big Iron Man 3 person? I really liked Iron Man 3. So, actually, that's funny that you mentioned that, because um, I saw Iron Man 3 before... Like, I saw it in theaters when it came out. And really? this was before I was even, like, an MCU fan. Um, huh. This was before I read any comics. And this was before I was interested in the MCU. I had seen Iron Man 1 not Iron Man 2, probably. and But I remember going to the theater to see this because my mom has always liked superhero movies. So I would just, like, I remember tagging along with her to go see this in the theaters and really liking it without any, like, knowledge of it, really. I was going to say, one of the funniest little facts I know about your mom is that she's familiar with Shazam as a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You forget that she, like, it's kind of the perks of having, like, 80s parents but parents like from that generation and that's kind of like their frame of reference for stuff like that um all right so but oh yes yeah i really love this movie i think i like it for like sort of the personal development of tony stark i kind of enjoy seeing him in like sort of like a high functioning depression (laughs) right (laughs) and i enjoy the the kid that they have him work off of, like, as an actor. I really like right. him as a character. The scene where he's having a panic attack and it immediately runs to his suit, tries to run to his Iron Man suit, really is one of, like, the best shot things in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Just in how it's, like, done. Right. And I also enjoy that they had that... I cannot remember his name, the character's name. I'm talking about, like, the child. Um, oh, yeah. Who they but they had him just, like, come back for... around. For the uh, funeral scene, he's in the funeral scene in uh, Endgame, which I love. Yes, a fun choice, even though all the audience was like, who the hell is this? What is this? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Two? Number two. This one is the one that's going to get a bunch of people who listen to this podcast up my butt because they constantly question my opinions on this. Oh, Eternals, baby, let's go. Eternals. Eternals, baby, the Eternals. Are you kidding? I'm dead serious. Okay. Okay. Look, I want to be mad, but I haven't seen it. Like, I have to admit, I have not seen this movie. I don't want to see the movie. But just sit. You're watching this after this. You come on. Certainly, you don't have any post birthday plans. Sit down and watch it after <laughs> we talk about this. I don't want to. <laughs> okay. Like, sell me. Sell I me won't. on it. Sell me on it right now. It's your favorite. Okay. Sell me. Okay. 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 
it's in a lot of ways like it is the perfect post like iron man 3 was the perfect film to start off phase two in terms of being like how do we live in a world without with superheroes now how do we go on after the avengers like eternals is kind of a perfect end game film because it's like well we just saw the end game we just saw the end of everything like how do how do you live is basically the question it asks like how do you when you're an eternal being who has been here literally since like the dawn of civilization when you first drop down into mesopotamian earth and like help these people grow like how do you what do you find what do you believe in how do you how do you keep going as you're just kind of stuck on this planet like and like people complain about having so many characters but i think it's great because this is a study a character study it is a study about gods grappling with we were brought here for a job we did the job now what do we do and then the more pressing issue of like what we thought our job was was very very different than what we were told and do we love this planet enough to defend it or are we going to let this planet die like like it's a mood I, it just gets, and for me, it gets to a lot of what makes Marvel comics, and especially the era of, like, sort of LSD, Ditko Kirby stuff, mm-hmm. really, really shine. Because it is simultaneously really intimate and personal, yet huge on a scale that's almost unfathomable. We have multiple scenes where one of our star characters is literally sitting in the hands of a giant alien god whose mm-hmm. head uh, doesn't even fit on the entire screen. As this god gives, like, cold directions on how to proceed with, you know, the end of everything. And, like, and yet then we cut to a scene where someone, an alien, like, an alien god character is just talking about, like, you know, Thanos wiped out half the world and people with half the powers we do literally died to undo what he did. And if that's not a reason to justify the existence of mankind, I don't know what is. Like, it's a film, like... It's simultaneously a great meta film and a great textual film where it has all this meta commentary about like, how do we keep going on with the Avengers? Why do we keep believing in these heroes? Why do we keep wanting to see superhero movies? But also like a rich narrative about these individual characters grappling with their place in the universe, especially when they find out their place, what they thought was their place was a complete lie. It's the, it's action is crisper and cleaner and more visceral than anything the MCU's done. Again, it's, and a lot of someone described it as this is what Zack Snyder wanted to do, but he just doesn't like comic books enough to do it. Mm-hmm. And I agree completely. It it it, it takes the MCU formula mm-hmm. and ends up creating something that feels more in line with like, you know, sort of the golden age epics like Cleopatra or like Matro- like these huge big stories that sweep over generations and. It's kind of, like, for me, it's everything comic books are. It's big, it's epic, it's mythological, and yet it's intimate and personal and heartbreaking. And it's kind of everything I want from a film. And it was an evolution that I didn't think the MCU was capable of. Hmm. You know, I'll just say it's like, uh, you know, as you're talking, I'm realizing, like, here's my issues with the idea of the Eternals is because it's like I wasn't interested in seeing it is because as like for for a few of them at least as beings I was familiar with them as they pertained to other heroes in other stories and I think that's just my issue with this film is that like and again I haven't seen it but like 
I just wanted to introduce them <laughs> in the same form, like in the same way. And I felt that it would right. just flow better to not have them seemingly come out of the blue. It's like they're they're this is not the first time that a film has like reckoned with post endgame or or endgame is post post infinity war. Mm-hmm. So like we've seen that now in a few different films about like what is happening after the event. I just I I thought it could have been simple and and seamless to have introduced these beings at least a couple of them in other films first before introducing like this big like just a team right it doesn't seem and that that is just my only issue is that like i was not like that's just not how we do things around here okay like we are introduced to somebody by themselves first and then we see them in the team and then we see the team okay I don't disagree with you, but I've talked about how the secret of the MCU is it's not nearly as carefully planned out as they suggest. They just have, like, it's like a river. They have paths in different avenues they can take, and it just comes down to which ones they want to take. Mm -hmm. And the example of that is the reason why this film got made is because soon-to-be Academy Award-winning director Chloe Zhao was brought in to pitch for Black Widow, and she was like, I'm going to be honest, I don't really have anything interesting to say about Black Widow, but... I am a fan of this comic Eternals, and if you give me a week, I can make a pitch for it. And then she came in and apparently was, like, breathlessly showing a PowerPoint presentation, and they're like, oh, she's, one, she's got an idea, and two, she's a big nerd. That's what I love about, again, that's what I love about her and Ryan Coogler. They're talking about, like, you know, Coogler talks about, like, yeah, I really wanted to bring in Craven, and Chloe Zhao is, like, jumping up and down, like, Blade's in my movie. I got Blade in the after credit scene, but... I really, really wish that she had done a Black Widow thing. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm glad she did Eternals, but I wish Black, the Black Widow movie was, like, anything. Yep. I can't imagine there I is mean, no one. Like, at least she had the balls to say that she had nothing new to say about Black Widow. I wish somebody would admit that. Because there's got to be somebody around here who does have something to say. I sure as hell have something right. to say. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, God. That needs to be on our Patreon vote. Rewrite a Black Widow movie. <laughs> Sorry, Pinocchio. Or just, Pinocchio, we're putting you out of just your misery. write a Black Widow movie. Like, just, I don't even need a movie. Like, write a Black Widow episode. Write a day in her life. Right? She's a person just that make does things. One of the, yeah, make one of the episodes of Hawkeye a flashback to her and Black Widow and basically make it a Black Widow episode and be like, this is yeah. your narrative. One of these days, um, we need to just have, like, one of our episodes needs to be, like, just us ranting about the thing that we've been meaning to rant about. Oh. Well, no. That episode would be five hours long. It would kill me, Sydney. Yeah. You would kill your best friend. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the, the Galaxy. Two. Woo! So, this is our favorite number one movie. Um, of course, it's both of us. Well done. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, so let's get into why we love it. Listen, 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 movies, all movies, if you're listening, like, turn up the volume for this part. If you're a movie, listen to this, what I'm about to say. 
your job movie is to like deliver a thematic idea, introduce a thematic idea, and then like deliver it. <laughs> and I have right. to say this because so many movies don't do that. They get the introduction they present part. present a theme and then don't discuss it. Yeah, they don't discuss it. And they either seemingly have amnesia and forget that they've introduced a theme. They realize that theme was too complicated and they abandon it in the third act. Or um, they just didn't have anything to say in the first place. And it, it just they just created nothing burger. But this is a film that introduces a thematic idea and like hits a home run on its delivery. Like, what is the opposite of a nothing burger? An everything bagel? An everything bagel burger? Yes. This is an everything bagel burger. I think we can just say, I think we can just say an everything bagel. I think everything bagel burger sounds funnier, but. It's the bagel from everything everywhere all at once that has all of your hopes and dreams, but also remembers to put poppy seeds on there. Exactly. And... So, yeah, this, and it's such a simple theme. It's not even a new theme. People want to talk about their parents, okay? (laughs) Like, (laughs) we've seen this before, and somehow it just scratches that itch and delivers this idea of of being let down by the adults in your life time and time again, even when you become an adult, and your heroes slash parents not being what you need not being what you want, but then also like seeing certain and seeing certain people who really did raise you, who really had a part in your upbringing, as like the whole human beings that they are, and for for better or for worse, do you know what I mean? So right, but then this is like, I mean, this is also the official assembly of the guardians. I feel like. The first film only halfway does it, and that's just because Mantis is missing. This is what I consider right. to be like the cherry on top. Like this is a finished product now. The Guardians yeah. have this assembled. Is, this is it. Yeah, this is them officially like cementing themselves as the Guardians of the Galaxy. Correct. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head where it's like a film with a good theme or a good story just needs like a five minute or like literally a one sentence pitch. Mm-hmm. And this is a story about imperfect families and imperfect parents. Right. You know, it, it gets on multiple textual levels of, like, uh, Peter with Ego, Peter with Yondu, you know, mm-hmm. Gamora and Nebula as siblings grappling with their relationship in the light of their father. Mm. You know, Mantis with her suit, you know, her father. And, you know, all of them being a parent for Groot now. Like, it gets it. Ugh. It captures the theme on so many layers, in so many different angles and textures, and grappling with also like abusive families. Yeah, like grappling with how abuse dictates your relationship to the people around you. And again, none of this is new. Like I've seen, right. I've seen this song played before, but it really is the singer, not the s- song. Correct. Where like James Gunn has a unique ability to make this specific theme and this specific story and these specific ideas sing in a way that few others can. Yeah. I mean, like, what more? What, what, what's some, do you have any other thoughts on this? I mean, honestly, that kind of, like, richly, you know, kaleidoscope color palette, you know. Banger soundtrack. Which, all Guardians, I mean, that's the, like, a good percentage of the appeal of Guardians is that you're gonna be dancing. 
But you know what's great about this one? It ties even more into the themes. There is an entire plot line where the song Brandy is like yeah. grappled with and analyzed, and that's like a part of the story. And that mm-hmm. is genius. And you know what? It's like, I never get tired of a good, like, opening scene that's like, this is the energy we got. And for us to show um, Groot just, like, bebopping around, baby Groot, bebopping around to um, an electric light orchestra, like, song as, like, the team is fighting off, while he's truly just, like, being a toddler, getting in the way... It's very dangerous for him to even be anywhere near them. And um, it's, it is it is the perfect, like, establishing scene of, like, this is the energy. Get ready. Here's what, like, here's what we're on right. this time around. It, like, it's another film where all, like, if this isn't what comic book movies are doing, then what are they doing? Right. It's everything you like about comics brought into motion. Exactly. Yeah. This is our favorite. Um, oh, yeah. Um, do you have any honorable mentions you want to get in real quick? Yes. Um, two. Hit. And and when I say honorable mentions, I'm like, yeah, I guess that term means that, like, these are almost favorites. And in, in a certain light, they are still favorites. But we just talked about the top three. If I could add four and five to it, it would be like, no, number four would be Infinity War. Mm, interesting. And it's so... I think actually, uh, like, a lot of people kind of actually feel this way, that they sort of prefer Infinity War to Endgame. Because it's always, like... I'm probably one of those people. I don't know why, but I just like... I like the journey of assembling people. I love, like, we're going on a road trip and we're picking up our friends along the way. (laughs) Yes. And to have this um, grand battle, like, in Wakanda, of all places, this is just, like, sort of, it, like, that, that battle scene is perfectly placed within the entire MCU timeline, not just in the context of this film. Um, it is satisfying as audience members to, like, be fresh off of seeing Black Panther and then, like, having this little treat of, like, being able to immediately return to Wakanda for this. Because it, it super had that energy of, like, we were just here. <laughs> right, and now right. we're back. <laughs> Um, I, yeah. I go really back and forth on Infinity War and Endgame because I can't deny the final battle in Endgame really is like, oh, this is why we call comic books mythology now. Because it's like, you know, Captain America, the sentinel of all this good in the world, mm-hmm. literally standing against the apocalypse. And at the last possible minute, literally everyone he's ever made Im- an impact on is coming through golden portals to basically fight back the apocalypse for the second time in five years. Like, I'm Mm. like, oh, yeah, this is why this is, like, mythology now. This is why this is, like, pantheon stuff. But at the same time, I do love Infinity War because I like that it's, like, the movie's basically over in the first five minutes. The minute they say Thanos is the first person to ever have two Infinity Stones at the same time, you're like, oh, well, that's it then. We're done here, yeah. (laughs) And it's more just about how, like, you know, Captain America and Iron Man's personal, you know, flaws just Mm -hmm. exacerbate that problem because the thing is even dr strange is like iron man your plane is stupid this is a terrible idea we should go back we should regroup and we should build forces right and captain america vision is begging you to kill him he is literally begging you to stop this before it happens Mm -hmm. and you just can't bear that idea and i love 
that it's like literally again it's the building blocks of civil war coming to a head there right and we get the village the villain origin story for um scarlet witch oh right yes and it reminds it's like oh this will be important in like five years trust us right and my other honorable mention was uh, captain marvel um because girl boss gaslight gatekeep girl boss which, like, Again. how, like, I'm sorry, do you not see the parallels between the phrase gaslight gatekeep girl boss and, like, higher, further, faster? <laughs> Whatever their, like, oh, motto is. Like, Kevin Feige knew. They're he almost knew. parallel, like, ideas. He knew. <laughs> the man's got a time machine. He just knows. Um, I like this film because it's a vibe. Like, it is a period piece, <laughs> technically. Right. Which we haven't seen since the first Avenger. Um, oh, yes. And which it, I might mention in a minute. We get to, like, hang out in a blockbuster and listen to 90s tunes and, like, have a, a like, a Nirvana scene. Like, it's just, like, I just love a good theme at the end of the day. And, you know, I love Captain Marvel. This film's got its issues. But it's fun. Like, it's, I just enjoy myself watching it. And I like, right. girl, I'm a sucker for girl boss energy. What can I say? I mean, it really is a testament to, like, the movie's successes where it's, like, both of us acknowledge it's kind of a messy, like, clunky film with mm-hmm. a lot of problems, but at the same time, we're like, yeah, but Captain Marvel is the premier female superhero now. Like, right. she's past Wonder Woman, like, especially after Wonder Woman 1984 kind of came and went. Like, mm-hmm. she is the girl now. She's, like, the it lady. And it's, like, I have to say, the, like, working chemistry between Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson... They're, like, they're a satisfying partnership. And, like, for them to have this buddy cop journey is great. You're like, I believe this man would call her at the 11th hour. Right. Yeah, that's even more beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You're like, oh, if the apocalypse really is at our doorstep, you know, this is the person he would call to try and stop it. Exactly. All right. I got, um... All right, I'll do my two uh, honorable mentions. Well, I'll say, can we just put Black Panther as our shared honorable mention? Because mm-hmm. I feel weird if we don't acknowledge it. But for me, it's almost like, the reason why I don't put it on my list is because I almost feel it's independent of the MCU. I would agree. I'm like, if something happened and they just weren't making these movies anymore, they could just break off Black Panther and it would be its own thing because it's its right. own Marvel universe. It's its own Star Wars. It's its own, like, James Bond movie. It's... Mm-hmm. Like all of these different great franchises, but from a black perspective, right? It feels like it gets to be in its own little bubble, but um, and technically it is in its own bubble because there's a vibranium right. orb surrounding it. Yes, yeah. they're like, all right, we need to be ready in case people really don't like quantum mania. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> So my first one is going to be the first Avenger because yes, I am you also like that movie, a yeah. For, yes. That is the one that got me into these movies because I went, I watched it just before the first Avengers film came out, and I'm like, why didn't anyone tell me this is great? Yeah, like it's just like a nice, clean, like it's a perfect Captain America origin story in terms of like a pulpy mm-hmm. punch him up, like a little Indiana it's a Jones. Punch him up, yeah. Punch those Hitlers. It's camp. It is campy. Yeah. Yes, it is the exact right tone for a World War II superhero adventure. Mm-hmm. On top of the fact that it's a little more visceral and bloody than a lot of these movies get to be. Yeah. And, like, the whole... There, there's very few moments I left more in the MCU than the U.S. Bond tour he goes on, mm-hmm. where they write, like, this 
like kitschy little tune right. who's strong and brave here to sing like it's just like yes this movie completely gets what Captain America is supposed to be right and that's why I don't mind the other ones being these like sort of dour political thrillers because I'm like right. well yeah you taught us the text of this character and now we can see him in different scenarios mm-hmm. um, and then my other honorable mention will be Far From Home so I'm kind of I, I, I feel like I'm famous for being kind of down on the MCU Spider-Man as a whole mm-hmm. like like Tom Holland but don't necessarily like his movies okay um, that's fair Home I could, like Homecoming is a movie I would describe and No Way Home I'd describe as two lovely well shot well executed super fun lovable movies that I don't think have a soul um <laughs> right no I agree because <laughs> Spider-Man is a character I think about so much where I'm like yeah. I have such a direct vision of what that's his your She-Hulk in a movie yeah, it's kind of my She-Hulk. Although I'm trying to make it Moon Knight to be more original. But, I got you. Um, like, I'm like, or Eternals, because I'm like, God, all white kids like Spider-Man. I need to be more, right. <laughs> I need to be more original than that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Far From Home is the one that I actually do think has a soul, which is funny because they take him out of New York, which is one of my biggest pet peeves. Mm. Like, I love that it's a movie that understands Peter should always desperately be trying to be Peter and not Spider-Man. Whereas far no or homecoming was all about him choosing to be Spider Man, mm-hmm. and it's like that doesn't like again Spider Man is a burden. It is his cross to bear. Like there's a reason why yeah he Sam wants Rainey to play football. This, yeah, he wants to play football, but he can't because he knows he'd be cheating. Yeah, he wants to hang out at the pool with his friends, but he knows he can't because otherwise the bad guys will get guns. He wants to get the meds to Aunt May, but the shocker is blowing up a bank on like Fourth Ave. Mm-hmm. Like, and this movie fundamentally gets that, where he keeps being like, can I just fucking relax? Yeah. And it works even better because it's in the context of Endgame, where it's like, I literally just saw everything die. Right. Me along with it. I need to stop. And on top of that, it's genuinely an incredible adaptation of Mysterio, who's my favorite Spider-Man villain. Mm. Like, it's different, but it works. And much like Iron Man 3, it captures that, like... It captures that energy of, well, what do we do in a world with superheroes? And it's like, yeah, these tech bros who have been under the boot of Iron Man for so long are, like, creating their own fake superheroes, fake supervillains. Right. Love it. The fact that they bring back from the first Iron Man, the guy who Jeff Bridges... There's a bit in the first Iron Man where Jeff Bridges yells at a guy, Tony Stark made this in a cave. With a box of scraps. <laughs> they bring that fucker back. Mm-hmm. And that's when I literally started... Cla- like, I I was, like, the worst audience member. Because <laughs> I couldn't help myself. That was so funny that they did that. Oh, my God. I just couldn't help but clap. Right. But, yeah, it's much closer to what I wanted to see from a Spider-Man film than any of the other MCU movies so far. No, I get that completely. To round out our discussion about the MCU, this is an idea I've really wanted to do for a while in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. and I finally brought it to the podcast. Um, me and Sydney are going to draft our Avengers dream teams. Woo! This is going to be a fun little chat um, because I really like what I came up with. Actually, yes, I'm. I struggled with. Like, I, I really struggled with being a traditionalist and being a wild card. And as I dove more into wild cards, the happier I got. Yeah, you know, I think 
definitely the list that I landed on is kind of even a surprise to myself. Because I think both of us were like, we both had like, I, you know, yeah, you're right in, in the sense of like going the more traditionalist route and then being like, okay, how can I challenge myself with this idea? So I really tried to like stretch myself here a little bit and I like what I came up with. So yeah, let's uh, dive in. All right, let's hear some of your picks. Okay, so first of all, I need to preface this by like explaining my thought process because I, mm. I, in order to create a challenge, I decided to actually create a specific landscape for them. So, and okay. honestly, like it's, I think my brain just naturally did this when I was, I like, I didn't really look at the characters as like, as individuals in the sense of like what have I seen them do in combat but I actually thought like what would they do in a specific combat situation Mm -hmm. so I actually just put them in the setting of the final battle of the first Avengers film so this Avengers team would be in New York fighting the Chitauri Okay, I think that's a really good idea because it's a yeah. one because that team is my favorite because I think when you add too many people, it gets muddled. And also, that's like the perfect Avenger scenario aliens invading, we need the best of the best. Right. So, like, that's the landscape here. This is the team that I think would thrive in a scenario right. like that. I also tried to challenge myself, and maybe you did the same thing. You talked to me briefly about like these, like, sort of separating them into categories. I kind of did the same, except for I was like, all right, we need some people on the ground, we need some people in the air, and we need a few trump cards. I did think about, like, oh, I want at least half the team flying. It's not fun if people can't fly. Right. And then I picked a few that I thought, like, these are trump cards who don't need a team. (laughs) Right. And (laughs) you could probably finish this on their own. Anyway, my number one is She-Hulk, because I'm a homer. And, um, And I just think she's a good captain. Right. I think she, and like I said this to you, like when we were kind of talking about this, um, that like I wanted, like initially I was like, I'm just assembling a force, honestly. And, (laughs) and I was like, let me just not do that. Let me actually try. But I still want to start, actually my first two picks are from a force. So I have She-Hulk as the captain and Captain Marvel as first mate. And because I think that as a collective brain, they are super complementary to one another. Um, so She-Hulk is my boots on the ground lady. And, and But she's also like the master organizer. She is good at delegating. Um, so I, and I think she's just a good leader, but she's also an impressive, you know, hero. She picks up buses and stuff like that. I think she could carry her own on the ground against the Chitauri. Um, and as I said, my number two would be Captain Marvel. She is, she, she makes a good co-captain to She-Hulk, but she is the trump card. She could probably finish this on her own if she really wanted to. She just lacks the focus to be the leader. She's not a, like, she's a do-it-herself gal. She's a, she's a do-it-herself gal. Like, her physical size is the only thing that would count against her. Which we saw when when uh, Thanos decided to just like flick her, <laughs> right. and we're like, oh, she weighs one hundred twenty pounds. 
Um, right. <laughs> like, this is a little too easy. Um, that is the only way to, like, defeat her is if you can, like, swing her around WWE style. You can, you're you right. great. You're good to go. Um, but yeah, I like those two. Right. Okay. So, moving on. Number three, I have Spider-Man because... When you're in a city with skyscrapers, you got to have someone who does gymnastics. Right. <laughs> like, that's just the rule. No, if I respect you. Like, he would city... be there anyway. Yeah, this he, is the story right. about the first Avengers team assembling, he's going to show up and be like, I'm helping. Yeah, he's great at going places he was not invited to. <laughs> just <being laughs> And be like, menace. I'm here, like, put me in, coach. And then being like, fine. But he'd be invited to this one because in some of the comics, he and She-Hulk are tight. Because they're both, She-Hulk is in New York as well. But when you've got tall buildings, you need someone who does gymnastics. Final answer, okay? Correct. you, you got to have someone who swings around. Um, so he's sort of the hybrid of between ground and air. Um, my last two I think will surprise you. I actually chose War Machine because I think it's good to have somebody with bombs. Right. <laughs> Especially against like- the Chitauri. It is the Tails and Luigi thing of, like, why are they player two? They run just as fast as the other guy, yeah. and they can jump and fly higher. Right. War Machine is Iron Man, but with more stuff. Ammunition, yeah. I just like watching him, like, literally drop bombs <laughs> from up above. I I think that is, like, totally invaluable, and he seems completely necessary. Um Right. In an air strike situation. I was going to say, he also just makes sense in the context of the Avengers being a semi-government organization. True. Like, they wouldn't want Iron Man. He's a wild card. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't right. like, follow your rules, man. Whereas exactly. Whereas is, like, a soldier. He's got battle tactics. He's, like, a leader. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I feel like, a, like, all of my picks here are compliments to She-Hulk. Like, right. I started with her, and I was like, who would best pair with her for different reasons that is why which deep down i knew i was like she is absolutely going to be like she hulk (laughs) core build off of that exactly so my last one which is i think the ultimate compliment to she hulk which might surprise you is wong um even though he does make an appearance in the she hulk series does he not yes yeah but i chose him because i chose him because there is no superhero that cannot be complimented by a dude who opens portals. There is no scenario. There is no scenario where that's not useful. <laughs> this was literally a discussion I was seeing where it's like, why not make him the leader of the new Avengers? Because yeah. not only is he a master of the mystic arts who has connection to major, basically every major player on earth and otherwise, he also just can teleport everyone everywhere. He's just practically good to have on the team as like a yeah. utility player. And I just prefer him over Stephen Strange because I think that he just is a better orchestrator. I I think his choreography is a little better. I think he's just sort of has a little more finesse with the way that he uses the portals. And I prefer his fight style over Doctor Strange a little bit. I also think he's just a better team player because... That's true too. Like, one of the reasons why I didn't want Doctor Strange on my team is because he's not a team player. He's a weirdo yeah. who hangs out in his little room and drinks tea, and you go mm-hmm. to him when you have a very specific issue you need solved. Whereas That's Wong is correct. like, I take this being Sorcerer Supreme very seriously, and I'm going mm-hmm. to do my homework to make sure everything's in order. Yes, absolutely. So um, that's that's my Avengers team. That's what I'm assembling here. 
I really, really like your team. But at the same time, I didn't pick any of those. Oh, good. Finally, we can have a discussion on that. Yes, we can differ. (laughs) My big one is She-Hulk, who I really wanted to put on the team. I really wanted to have, because I'm like, you need one gamer-radiated character. It just Mm -hmm. feels like tradition. But then I, for me, She-Hulk has always been a Fantastic Four character more. I agree. I was so, it was so, like, I guess as we transition into my picks, like, I really was thinking about, like, keeping groups sort of in their group. So if you're, Mm -hmm. like, a traditional X-Men, I was like, "Eh, I don't really want you on the team. If you are someone who associates with the Fantastic Four a lot, I'm like, that's why I don't have Black Panther on my team. Like, in general, I was like, oh, all the scientists hang out with the Fantastic Four. They don't hang out with Tony Stark. He's annoying. He's, like, the annoying scientist. I mean, I guess... Technically, She-Hulk has been on every single team that's ever yeah, been assembled. Which kind of makes her... That's why everyone loves her, because she can right. just kind of work in any team. Like, Midnight Suns? Yeah, the Midnight Suns need someone to punch demons. Right. And, like and like you said earlier, like, the list that you showed me with these categories, I was like, yeah, she's... She could fit in a couple of these categories. Like, certainly Gamma. But also, as, like, a government agent. Not just as, like, mm-hmm. a lawyer, but as, like, she's on S.H.I.E.L.D., and she's yeah. an Avenger, she's a and she's hero. on... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the it's a reverse thing of Wong, where it's like, Wong knows everyone because he's in tune with the magical arts and just has to know everything that's happening. Right. She-Hulk knows everyone because she's a lawyer. She's and popular. And Rolodex. Yeah, she's cool. Everybody loves <laughs> She-Hulk. Right. She's the it girl. Right. Um, okay, so I took a similar approach. Well, I took two different approaches. My first one was archetypes. I was like... If the Avengers are supposed to be the best of the best, I want to get the best of every category. So I made categories like metahumans, government sort of agent types, like spy guy stuff, Mm -hmm. the tech science branch, the magic branch and mythology branch, space, street level, supernatural, and then a couple others. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to get a little bit of everything as best I could. I have, and I took a similar approach where I'm like, let's imagine I'm being asked to write comics. Like, Mm -hmm. do my, like, version of the Marvel Universe. And Loki has come to Earth to do something. Not necessarily the events of the first Avengers film, but probably close to that. Yeah, even he doesn't know yet. Yes. And, like, what would the team end up being within the first couple years of Loki showing up? Mm. Um, So, my two that I had to grandfather in, Captain America and Iron Man, I was like, look, I almost didn't count them to my total number. I wanted to keep it 10 or less because I feel like if you get more than 10, it just gets too busy. Yeah. Like, you just can't enjoy it. That's my problem with the Justice League show. Once That's they an Infinity added War. everyone. Yeah, it's like, well, this isn't a show about the Justice League anymore. This is right. just a show about the DC universe. Yeah. Yeah, like, they're the two godfathers of all of this. They're, like, their banter and their sort of different way of viewing things is how you define the Avengers. Right. It also, like, I was grappling with how to approach the Avengers, where I'm like, they're part, like, celebrity hero team, because they're, like, the mainstream team. Everyone knows the Avengers. Right. Like, it's the same thing with the Fantastic Four, but the Fantastic Four are, like, science guys. Like, you know, they're Mm -hmm. science people. Right. Um, Whereas the Avengers are, like, kind of government-affiliated. They're kind of not. They're kind of, like, a privately funded thing by Iron Man. Like, and I was trying to think of how to play in that space. Which is part of why I didn't include Spider-Man, because I'm like, no kid heroes. They wouldn't have kids being the face of this organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we get into my two. I was going to put Thor, because I was like, oh, of course, you would want Thor, because those are the three guys. It's Captain America, America's dad, and the two wacky uncles. It's full <laughs> house, but with lightning. Yes. But then <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to not be a coward and throw in a wild card pick. Mm. 
Valkyrie. Oh, wow. You know what? That's honestly, you have more courage than all of us. That's a great pick. Um, She's fierce. Yes. So basically my angle, literally I was trying to think of, as I was going on my walk today, I was trying to think of how in-universe to explain this. And my pitch was Loki comes to Earth and Odin, who's like a master like politician, is like, Valkyrie, listen. Thor gets weird whenever his brother's doing mischief. Like, he's not good at handling his brother. Like, it'll either result in a big fight that'll make a big mess on Earth, or it'll do, something will happen. Mm-hmm. He, you know, I'd rather you go in quietly and deal with this. And then when Valkyrie teams up with the other heroes and shows her, like, you know, ability, mm-hmm. and they're, like, announcing, like, we're forming a team, Odin's like, it would be very beneficial to have someone on Earth as a part of this team just to keep track of Earth. And it'll be, like, a goodwill gesture. So yeah. he's like, Valkyrie, I, you know... I crown you protector of You're in at, charge of Midgard. Uh, Midgard. Yeah. Yes. She, like, you know, give her, like, a bunch of magic items, like this is, like, Jason and the Argonauts, or, like, Clash of the Titans. Maybe, like, give her sword Bifrost powers so she can teleport. Mm. And you can still have Thor show up whenever you need him to. Um, so, like, she can wield the hammer sometimes when it's necessary. Mm-hmm. All right. My next pick, I was thinking Captain Marvel, but then I thought Spectrum. Let's go Monica Rambeau. Nice. Very nice. Because, one, I wanted to diversify my team. I'm like, man, my team is white as crackers. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I was like, <laughs> Captain Marvel's, like, aloof. Her problem, like, especially how she's depicted in the MCU, she's kind of aloof. Yeah. She's like, I'm an Avenger, but I got my own things cool going on. Girl. I gotta go deal with something. Yeah, I'm the cool yeah, girl. Yeah, she's not like other girls. Deal. She's a simultaneously yeah. a girl boss that's not like other girls. <laughs> yes. I'm not like other girls. I'm radioactive. Yeah. I could explode a room. Um, so I like Spectrum as having very similar powers and also representing like that space sphere Mm. while also being more of like a team player like she's like the spacefarer who likes Earth and is like doing the work Mm -hmm. and then to round out my main team I had instead of Black Widow and Hawkeye I had Hawkeye and Mockingbird because I always feel like you need one couple Nice. Like, you need one romantic pair, and I think, I just kind of like Mockingbird more than Black Widow. Like, I like her and Clint's dynamic. I think that's mm-hmm. just a fun pairing. And then I have my wild card picks. Okay. Number one, Flash Thompson, a.k.a. Agent Venom. So Okay. When I was, so when I was thinking about, like, the Avengers as, like, this political apparatus, I liked the idea that the U.S. government basically gets to crowbar a pick or two onto the team as they're, like, doing their tryouts and figuring out, like, who do we want on this team? Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that they're like, oh, Flash Thompson, great soldier, um, you know, quality man, you know, have him on the Avengers as, like, a representative for the U.S. military. Hmm. Um, and, like, you know, he looked up to Captain America growing up, so it makes sense that he'd want to be on the team. I also like him because he's kind of an anti-hero, and I always think you need at least, like, one kind of reformed villain on the team. Mm-hmm. At one point, this pick was Craven because I always liked the Squirrel Girl uh, series where she's like, what if you just hunt monsters? Like, <laughs> we live in a world with all these cool monsters. You don't need to fight superheroes. Um, and I also like the idea of him and Captain America being this buddy team, like him kind of replacing Bucky before the Winter Soldier rolls up. Right. And this, I also like this angle of, like, you know, having a whole subplot where the government's like, wait, this is basically, these symbiotes are basically super soldier serums. Let's go find more. And then inadvertently bringing the whole planet of symbiotes down on Earth. And that's how you get all like Null and Carnage and all the crappy ones I don't like. Right. All right. You're going to love this one. Dazzler. 
I almost put Dazzler on the team, but then I wanted oh to get away God. from making an 18. Like, I, I, I really wanted to put her on, and then I was like, no, I don't want this to be A-Force. God, we really are too similar, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> but it makes us a good team. Because I like because for me these last these wildcard picks are like s- semi members who aren't there all the time. Yeah. And you selling me on the gospel of Titania and like selling me on the idea of like superhero as celebrity, I was like, oh, that could be Dazzler. Like she yeah. joins the Avengers and like when she's not on tour, she's doing a social media push. Yeah. <laughs> and also because one of my favorite like sort of alt looks is when she gets the hammer of Thor and turns into a glam rock Viking. And I'm like, that sets that up. Oh, she is one that I desperately need to join the MCU. I really need to see her in live action or just anything. That's why I hate the X-Men movies so much. They do the same mutants every time Mm -hmm. we barely got Jubilee. We barely, well, I guess we got Kitty pride, but we barely, you know, they cut Dazzler's scene. There's so many cool X-Men. They just don't do. Yeah. And then my other two wildcard picks were either Blue Marvel, and I would just do one of these, either Blue Marvel or Shang-Chi. I like the idea of having a person, one, a person with the name Marvel. And I like that Blue Wait, Marvel's Wait, remind me powers. of who Blue Marvel is? Blue Marvel is, like, slightly more obscure. He feels like a character they've really been meaning to put in the movies for a while. Oh. He's like, uh, he's like another super scientist who is doing experiments, gets powers from the negative zone. He's basically Black Superman, kind of. Is okay. How, when people are pitching him for the movies, it's like, do you want a Superman-level power threat? Mm-hmm. Um, Blue Marvel. Um, I got gotcha. I like the idea of him having powers from the negative zone, because that's my version of having Ant-Man. Like, you have one of the dimensions. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Um, and, uh, again, you want a slugger. You want a guy who's, like, the heavy hitter, where it's like, mm-hmm. all right, we can't mess around anymore. Bring in the big punt fist. Right. Um, yeah, or Shang-Chi, because I like him because in the comics, he's established as, like, teaching all of the other characters martial arts. There's a great arc where Spider-Man loses his spider sense, and he's like, shit, I actually don't know how to fight. Mm-hmm. I've been fighting based on the ability to have superhuman reflexes. Yeah. So Shang-Chi is like, okay, I'll teach you real quick. Mm. Um, and even though I don't have Spider-Man on team, I love that the first official Spider-Man issue is Spider-Man rolls up to the Fantastic Four, beats them up, and is like, okay, as you can see, I'm a top-level hero, so you're going to want to get a good contract to sign me. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're a scientific or nonprofit organization. Right. <laughs> the super, the superheroing is incidental at best. Yeah. But the Avengers aren't. It's like a job for some of these people. So I like the idea that Shang-Chi rolls up, knocks Iron Man out, like, beats up Captain America, and it's like... Because I like Shang-Chi in this movie as, like, he's given up his father's empire, so he doesn't really have any money. He's kind of, like, a mm-hmm. layabout. So I like that idea that he's like, oh, I'm a superhero now. I'm gonna apply to be an Avenger and get money. And then they're like, okay, actually, this would be very helpful. Sure. Right. And he just shows up occasionally. Also, I just because, like, I don't know. That is an all-time great glow-up in terms of heroes, because the Ten Rings now are so cool as, like, the bracers that do right. all these cool tricks. Yeah, and did you have any that just missed the cut for you? Um, I wouldn't call this a miss the cut, just one that I maybe totally forgot about, but um, uh, Scarlet Witch is a Trump She's too OP. And it's, you know, I, because I actually think that she and Carol Danvers, like, would make a good, like, two-piece special. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Because I, 
I I like it. I like it. I and I I am I love the heroes that seem to have like zero limitations. Mm-hmm. I I've said this before that like the the only limitation to Scarlet Witch is that like all of the all of the like men's rights bros that are like oh a woman can't be president because she'll get her period and blow up the world. Like, we joke about that, but if there was ever, like, a personification of that idea, it would be the way that Scarlet Witch Witch literally destroys the fabric of reality because she's mad her children don't actually exist. Right, exactly. That would be the only... The only issue is that I feel like there is never really an appropriate cap on her, Mm -hmm. like, emotions to sort of hone her into like, an actual usable tool. If you right. want to go sicko mode, call her in. <laughs> and there's a yeah. time and a place for that. But that is probably why I wouldn't put her on a team. Because she can yeah, be hard is, to control. But it is funny, because she's, like, one of the earliest members, like, because after the initial team of, like, Hulk, Iron Man, Wasp, Ant-Man got the boot, it was Captain America, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and Wanda, all, like, ex-villains. They literally called Captain America's kooky quartet and yeah. in the comics, they're like, oh, what is he doing? Captain America's really lost it this time. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, that's hilarious to me. Right. That's why I'm like, you have to have at least one kind of villain on the team. Yeah. Because you need someone for Captain America to, like, wrap his arm on the shoulder and be like, listen, son, you have great potential. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there were, I really wanted to get Cersei from the Eternals in, but then I'm like, I want the Eternals to be their own thing. Mm-hmm. I really want a supernatural character, but again, I keep thinking, like, if you fight vampires and werewolves, you kind of have to be in your own little pocket. Like, the Avengers don't worry about that on any given They day. don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of having, like, Excalibur or, like, Captain Britain, because I like the idea that the Brits are like, oh, no, America Me doesn't too. get all the roster spots. Like, and yeah. they just crowbar one of their guys on the team to make it more international. I also, like, really went back and forth about the idea of a Bruce Banner. It's hard. Yes. Like, She-Hulk, if any, if at, at worst, She-Hulk just highlights everything wrong with the Hulk as a superhero. <laughs> right. Because you're like, wait a minute. So you can be affected by Gamma and not be, like, a caveman not not have like a chill. caveman brain. Yeah, you can be chill, smart, communicate well. Yeah. Not have any I, language issues and like not not be like essentially a pet. Yeah. I like that the I like that the She-Hulk show underlines like, hey Bruce, maybe this is a you problem, man. Yeah. Like it underlines a lot of the backstory without explicitly saying it of like Bruce having a rough childhood where it's like mm-hmm. Hey man, you might have things you need to work out on like a personal level. It's not just this gamma radiation that's the problem. Right. And it's it's just like it's it's always risky to have someone as strong as the Hulk be nearly impossible to control. Where it's like any any hero that you have to like sit down and do like a breathwork meditation with mm-hmm. <laughs> is not yeah. we don't have time for this. <laughs> like I want to have him because he's iconic and he's yeah. a traditionalist member of the team. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, like, again, as I was approaching the Avengers as being, like, this sort of international, like, Overwatch-esque team, I'm like, yeah, they would never let Hulk be on this. Right. Literally, in the MCU, there's the short where Coulson's like, shoot, they want to put Abomination on our roster. And they have to have Tony Stark go, like, piss off Thunderbolt Ross enough to can the idea. Um, and... 
Yeah, again, he's another one who I'm like, I almost think he would get along with the Fantastic Four more, because they would be like, hey, you're a brilliant mind, and we also have had our, you know, science has changed our lives permanently, too. Like, let's work on this. And we have a big guy. Yeah, we have a guy who's a bunch of rocks. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you guys can be friends. Yeah, (laughs) you guys can be bros. You know, he's always like, uh, the kids on Delaney Street told me to pound rocks. Because I am Ross. <laughs> uh. They always give him, like, they write his dialogue in the comics as, like, uh, like the, the what we said about Raphael last episode about, like, the New York yes. cabbie, like, oh, can you believe that's crazy? Yes. They, Why do they try like, like that? I'm like, I understand that, like, it is cool that he is canonically Jewish and that yeah. he's a Jewish superhero. You don't have to actually write it out like <laughs> that. It's the yeah. Hagrid thing again of, like, yeah. if you just explain, like, oh what God. his voice sounds like, the audience will fill in the gaps right. for you. Certain, you know, I'm, <laughs> we don't talk about how difficult it is to read Hagrid's dialogue on paper. It's just, a, it's just letters. Yeah. It's just like, why did you, <laughs> like, we didn't that should have been warning flag. How did you write one. this? Yeah. How did your editors get yeah, through like, this? You're Scottish. Why do you yeah. have such a low opinion of right. your own brothers and sisters? <laughs> um, yes. And then my, like, one that I desperately wanted was Moon Knight. Because, like I said, mm-hmm. I become, I'm, like, that's becoming my go-to guy. Identity? Yeah. Um, yes. And I, like, I wanted to, I thought it would be fun to have another mythological hero. Mm. And I like the idea of, like, he would be like, oh, I need to distribute justice. I would go to this team. But I would only want him for, like, a limited series arc where halfway through the big battle, he changes back to one of his other personalities and is like, what the fuck? What is going on? Why am I in this outfit? What the, mm-hmm. Why is there a mole man? And the rest of the right. Avengers realizing like, oh, this man does not have control of this power. Yeah. And then it maybe ends with Valkyrie rolling up to like that pantheon of all the gods and being like, Kanchu, you gotta let this dude go. This isn't cool. Yeah. Like, why did you give us this? <laughs> yeah. This was a really fun exercise. Yes, I really enjoyed this talk. Honestly, we should do more like this in the future. <laughs> yes, just dream teams and like roster building stuff. Yeah, and just more like geek talk. This is how we vibe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is like, I don't know. Disney itself is geeky, but at the same time, it gets to be put in its own little gas- glass case. Yeah. I like that Marvel, we just, you know, the gla- you know the, the, the gloves come off. We're just right. nerding out. Exactly. <laughs> and until we figure out our way out of the quantum realm, I'm Carter. <laughs> and I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. Thanks for listening. The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on Earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash Disney Desk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you.